It is good to see you all. It's actually, it's been a while since I've been up here preaching in front of you guys. So this is, this kind of feels pretty good. I've been looking forward to this. Well, good morning again. Uh, as I said at the beginning of our service, we are continuing in the series that we are calling Follow, in which we're looking at what does it actually mean to be a disciple, but specifically a disciple who makes disciples. What does it mean to follow Jesus, to allow the good news of Christ to shape and to form our lives, but also to be people who carry forward that great commission that he's given us to go and make disciples of all nations. So this morning, we are going to be taking a closer look at that passage from John chapter 15. But I think it's only right that before we dive into the scriptures, that we allow God to open our hearts and our minds to the message that he has for us. So would you please bow your heads and pray with me? Let's pray together. Lord God, we give you thanks this morning that you have set aside this time and this place in which we might meet with you. That it's here that we hear about your good news, that we're reminded of that good news in which we are encouraged and empowered to be sent with that good news. And so, Lord, this morning we ask that you would give us open hearts and minds to receive the message you have for us. And, Lord, I pray that the words of my lips and the meditation of my heart would be pleasing in your sight, O God, who is indeed our rock and our redeemer, our mighty fortress. Amen. You know, it never ceases to amaze me how I can read a passage over and over and over again, and yet every single time it still hits me. I have known Jesus for 16 years, okay? I, I became uh, a Christian as a, as a young man, and, uh, and over those 16 years, I must have read the Gospel of John countless times. But when I get to John 15, I am always struck by what Jesus says because of how challenging and beautiful and deep and profound it is. Because when you open that chapter... And when you take a look at what he says, he opens with these words. He says, I am the true vine and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. Now, sometimes I think we're so familiar with this passage that we just kind of gloss right over those words. We think, oh, Jesus is using kind of like a, a quaint or beautiful illustration to talk about discipleship. But slow down and really think about what he is saying here. And I actually want to encourage you because we're going to be looking at this passage in depth. You have in your bulletin space for notes. And I'm going to encourage you to open that bulletin, grab a pencil, because as we look at this passage together, this passage confronts us with several deep questions that we have to wrestle with. Because when we look at this text and we look at how Jesus opens, those words are staggering words. He says, I'm the vine, my father's the gardener, he cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. While every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be more fruitful. Now, I think that oftentimes we want to soften the blow of this passage a little bit and say, okay, so he cuts off the things that aren't bearing fruit and prunes those that do. And that must mean that there are certain branches in my life that aren't bearing fruit. So I need to be willing to reorder my priorities, maybe trim off those branches, cut those off, and then I'll be more fruitful. That would make sense. If Jesus didn't say what he says next, he says that I am the vine and you are the branches. 
He doesn't say your life is the vine and you've got some fruitful branches and some unfruitful branches, so let's get your priorities straight. He says, no, you are a branch and you are either fruitful or you're not fruitful. Your life is a branch and it either bears fruit or it doesn't. And whether you bear fruit or not, there is some cutting that's going to take place. Because even the branches that do bear fruit get pruned. You see, what Jesus is saying in this passage is there is actually a litmus test for discipleship. He actually says that, that, in, or, that in being a disciple, you are expected to grow. Growth is an expectation that God has for you. Because you see, while God loves you right where you are, that he saves you apart from what you do, he loves you too much to leave you there. And his desire is that you would grow and that you would bear fruit. And so the question that we have to ask ourselves, the question that we must wrestle with as we look at this text is just what kind of branch do I want to be? Because there will be growth, but that growth is going to involve pruning. The question is, do I want to be pruned or cut off? Do I desire to be fruitful or am I a dead branch yielding nothing? And so I want us to take a closer look at this passage to really understand what is Jesus saying here? What does it mean to be a fruitful branch? Because I think a lot of us would say, well, I want to be a fruitful branch. I don't want to be cut off. That sounds terrible. Later on, he says that the branches that are cut off are thrown away and burned in a fire. That does not sound very pleasant. I'll take a pass on that one. But then the question becomes, well, what does it then mean to be fruitful? How do I know if I'm bearing fruit? What, what does that look like? And this is where those important questions are going to kind of come into play. So again, I, I hope you have something for taking notes. Because one of the things that I love about Jesus is that he uses everyday images in deep and profound ways. And so as we wrestle with that question of what does it mean to be fruitful, I think it's important to stop and think about fruit for just a second. You see, I love walking through the produce section at the grocery store. The reason I love walking through the produce section at the grocery store is because fruit is wildly bizarre and awesome. Like if you walk around the produce section, you find fruit in every different shape and size. They come in a variety of different colors. They have a variety of different textures and flavors. They even grow differently. Like some of them grow in bunches. Some of them kind of grow alone on the branch. I mean, it's crazy the beautiful diversity that fruit has. And fruit is designed that way. It has odd shapes and interesting colors because it's supposed to draw your attention with, its, with the way it looks and the way it smells and the way that it feels and the way that it tastes. It's supposed to captivate your eye. And as we think about what it means to be fruitful for a second, it begs the question, if we are to bear fruit, are our lives curiously strange? Are our lives curiously strange? Because I think too often as Christians, we are far too content to blend into the rest of the world. We are far too content to look like and smell like and have the same textures and contours as the rest of our surrounding culture. And yet fruit stands out. Fruit stands out from the rest of the plant. 
It's meant to draw your eye. And so the question is, is our life curiously strange? Does our life, as we interact with people, cause them to start asking questions? Like, why do they do what they do? Why do they set aside Sunday and gather together for worship? What? Why do they use their money the way they use their money? Why, why do they give it away? Why, why are they so generous with their time and with their talents? Why is it that they're willing to take their vacation days to go and provide relief to, to, to areas that have been devastated by hurricanes? Why is it that they seem like they have so much joy when they sit and they talk to air, when they pray, when they sing what is it that motivates them? How is it that they have a sense of peace and they're willing to stand out and be weird for the sake of what they believe? Is, are our lives curiously strange? It's the first question we should ask ourselves. Second question we should ask ourselves has to do with what uh, fruit provides. Fruit provides nourishment, okay? Fruit is for eating, and in fact, if it's the difference between like a candy bar and like a really uh, beautiful apple, I am taking the apple every single time. Because of the fact that like we just went to an apple orchard as a family and it blows my mind those apples that come off the tree. They are huge and they're juicy and they're delicious and they fill you up and provide you with energy and nourishment that they actually give you vitamins and the fibers that you need. You need to like eat these things because they're good for you. And so when we think about what does it mean to be fruitful and to bear fruit, the second question we have to ask ourselves is this, does our presence bring spiritual nourishment to others? Does our presence bring spiritual nourishment to others? Because there are people in our world who are looking for nourishment in all the wrong places. They're looking for nourishment from their jobs or from their relationships or from their peer groups. They're depending upon their achievements and their wealth and their status for nourishment, and that deep down inside, they still feel hungry. They still feel empty. They just can't get enough. And yet we have an opportunity to point them to where real spiritual nourishment is found. That their value, their dignity, their self-worth, their security is found in Jesus Christ. Does our presence bring spiritual nourishment to others? So again, first question was what? Is your life curiously strange? Second question is, does your presence bring spiritual nourishment to others? But that leads us to the third question, which really has to, which really drives to the heart of this. What is the purpose of fruit? What is the purpose of fruit? The purpose of fruit is quite simply this. It is to deliver the seed to new places so that new life might grow. The purpose of fruit is to deliver the seed to new places so that new life might grow. And as we wrestle with what does it mean to bear fruit in the kingdom of God, the question that this confronts us with is, are we offering people the gift of new life by sharing Christ? Are we taking the seed of the good news that we have to new places in order to reach new people. Ultimately, at the end of the day, that is the reason why we grow. A plant doesn't bear fruit for itself. It actually requires a great deal of energy for a plant to produce fruit, but why does it do it? So that the seed might be taken to new places to start new 
life, to grow new trees, to bear more fruits. Bearing fruit for the kingdom of God, being fruitful in the eyes of Jesus, means that we give that gift of hope, of good news, and of eternal life to other people. That we're willing to carry it to new places so that new people might experience the spiritual life that only Jesus can give them. In fact, Jesus goes on later on in this passage to make that abundantly clear. He says, I chose you. This is verse 16. I chose you and appointed you so that you might go. It's starting to sound a little like a great commission. That you might go and make disciples. No, go and bear fruit. Fruit that will last. In fact, in the Greek, it actually says everlasting fruit, eternal fruit. This is the gospel of John's great commission. That you might go and bear everlasting fruit that you might go and give the eternal life of Jesus to other people, that you might offer it to them, that they might taste and see that the Lord is good. And the reason why this is so important is because there are people out there seeking who are desperate for some good news. And what it's going to take is you and me. It's going to take us. It's going to take people. Buildings can't do it. Programs, while good, won't do it. Because at the end of the day, it's going to take one person bringing life and giving it to another person. This has really driven home for me very, very recently. You see, this past February, uh, my wife and I hosted a small group in our house. And uh, we started to invite some people from Trinity, but we also said, you know, let's, let's invite some people who are not connected to our church. And so we actually invited um, our, our chiropractor. We said, we'd like you to come and join our small group. And see, up to this point, she'd already been asking us a lot of spiritual questions. Because, you know, while I'm sitting there on her table hoping she's not going to break my neck, uh, we talk about life and death and eternity because that's kind of what I'm thinking about when I'm hearing my bones snap. Um, and, and, and she would ask me, you know, things like, what do you do and why do you do it? And, and we kind of got a chance to be curiously strange. And she started asking us questions and we finally said, well, you know, we, we host this, this, this group at our house. We study the Bible and we think about God and we talk about how that matters for our life. And she's like, cool, can I come? We're like, sweet, yeah, absolutely. She's like, can I bring my boyfriend? And we're just like, yeah, sure, invite him. So they both show up. Show it to our first small group and a boyfriend sits down and we all start introducing ourselves and we get to him and he kind of says, uh, he says, yeah, he introduces himself and he says, you know, I don't really believe in this stuff. I don't really know why God is so important. I, I really don't trust the Bible. I mean, I was raised in church, but I really don't see how this is relevant. But I came because I was invited and I do appreciate a good conversation, especially where people disagree, so I'm here. And I was just like, Cool, welcome, so glad that you're here. We're going to take a look at the Gospel of Mark. We're going to study the life of Jesus, and you can ask any question you want. And he's just like, awesome. After that study, my, my co-leader leaned over to me, and she's like, dude, I didn't know what you were going to say. I was like, oh, no, this is going to ruin everything. And I was like, no, it's not. This is awesome. He's here to ask good questions. Let's, let's, let's lean in. And something odd happened over the course of, of us getting together. And uh, the, uh, the odd thing was is that uh, for a while they, they would both show up and then it was just him showing up. Because now he was coming not because his girlfriend was coming, he was coming because he wanted to come. And then uh, there kind of came a season where about a month kind of like disappeared and, and, and I'd been reaching out to him, didn't hear from him or anything like that. And all of a sudden I get a, I get a, a text message from him. He says, hey Nick, you know, um, would you be free tonight to get together for a beer? I want to talk to you about what's going on in my life. 
I dropped everything. I went home and I was like, honey, I am going out tonight. <laughs> and she was like, why? And I was just like, because he, he called, he texted me, he wants to talk about life and stuff. She's just like, get out of here, go. So I got together with this guy and we're, we're meeting over beers and stuff like that. And he just starts sharing some stuff that's been going on in my life. And he's like, you know, honestly, Nick, I'm realizing that, that I have been putting my, my sense of identity and self-worth in, in a bunch of stuff that doesn't seem to satisfy. And every time I had a question, you seemed to have an answer. And I want to know, what do you have that I don't have? And so I took a little sheet of paper because I carry a little notepad in my pocket. I pulled it out and I sketched out the gospel for him. I talked about Jesus. I talked about the fact that God loves us so much he entered into this world to save us from the things that don't ultimately satisfy. To forgive us for the ways that we've turned our backs on him. And to usher us into a new life of depth, of purpose, of meaning, of abundant fruitfulness. And after I got done sketching that all out, I said, does that make sense? And he's just like, yeah, it does. I was like, so what do you think about that? He's just like, you know, I'm not sure about the organized church, but I believe that. I believe Jesus is Lord and Savior. I believe that that's where I'm going to find my purpose. And so, yeah, I want to follow him. Is that not cool? You guys are like staring at me like that is not the most amazing thing that ever happened. New life was born that day. On a Wednesday night at 8.30 p.m. at Solemn Oath Brewery, no one else knew what was going on, but right there across the table from me, new life happened. And that is amazing. And over the next month and a half, we got together every single Wednesday night as we opened scripture and talked about what does life mean now that I follow Jesus? And, and one of the things that broke my heart recently actually was that he ended up moving because of his job. He had to move out to Portland. And I told him, I was just like, man, I am going to miss you so much. And he, and he said, he's like, I'm going to miss you too. And I said, so, so what are your priorities when you get out to Portland? What do you want to do first? And he's like, honestly, I, I know that I need to find a church. I need to find a community of people who are going to help me to continue to grow. See, he was hungry. He was looking for nourishment in all the wrong places, and what he needed was somebody who was a little bit fruity. And I'll, I'll, I'll take that. I'll take that label. He needed someone to bring him some fruit. He needed someone to bring him the seed of the good news so that he could taste and see that the Lord was good. That's what it means to bear fruit for the kingdom of God. That is what we are called to do. That is our mission. That is why we are here. And what's amazing about that mission is that although it's daunting, God gives us everything that we need to do it. Because if you were to try and do this on your own, do you want to know how, how far you would probably get? To those doors right there. Some of you might make it to the sign at the end of our parking lot. It says you're now entering the mission field. But on our own steam, we're not making it much further. In fact, Jesus actually says that. He says, apart from me, you can do nothing. Absolutely nothing. He's like, but I have news for you. You don't have to do it on your own. I do it with you. Jesus says, abide in me and you will bear much fruit. Jesus says, I am going to go with you. I am going to give you absolutely everything that you need to continue to bear fruit for the kingdom. 
I am going to give you absolutely everything that you require. All you need to do is abide in me, rest in me, cling to me, and look to me. Because the truth is, is that some of us are, would say, you know, I'm not a great evangelist. I'm not an apologist. I don't know all the answers. I'm not a brilliant Bible scholar. Jesus says, that doesn't matter. If you know me and you know the difference that I have made in your life, then you have something to share. That if you know me and we've got this relationship, then you have something to give. So simply abide in me, abide in my love. That's actually what he says, abide in my love. For as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now abide in my love. He's saying when you know the eternal love of God, you don't need anything else. Because that's what our world desperately needs, is they need to hear your story of what it means to abide in Jesus. That is it. And God is not done with you. God is not done with you. It doesn't matter if you're sitting there and saying, well, like, I'm older and I'm set in my ways, or I'm introverted, or I don't know too many people, or I don't have the right answers. None of that matters because Jesus says, if you know me, you have everything that you require. Again, another story that I just have to share. I have the pleasure and the honor of being able to bring communion to one of our members. His name is Fred Fallendorf. You guys know Fred? Some of you do. Fred is uh, 95 years old. He's in hospice right now. But uh, recently I got to take communion to him this past month. And he said, first question he asked me is he said, how is Trinity doing? He's like, tell that church that I love them and that I miss them. It was the first thing he said. He's just like, how's Trinity doing? Tell that church that I love them and that I miss them. And then the second thing that he said to me, he says, he says, you want to know what your job is, Pastor? And I was just like, what's that? He's like, it's to tell them that we have a responsibility to tell other people about Jesus. That's the only reason we do anything that we do. For as long as I've been a part of that church, that's the reason Trinity exists, is to go and tell people about Jesus. And let me tell you something, Fred does it. Every single one of his hospice nurses knows two things. One, that Fred loves them and that Fred loves Jesus and he would love for those two to meet. That Fred is there and he tells people about the love that Jesus has for him. In fact, I, I recently learned from Alicia told me this, that one of the interns who is caring for Fred, now on his time off, comes back to visit with him just so Fred can tell him about Jesus. 95 years old in hospice still bearing fruit. So if you're sitting there saying, I don't have enough, I don't know enough, I'm too old, I'm too set in my ways, I beg to differ. Because God says you have fruit, eternal fruit, everlasting fruit to give. It's something that I give to you. I'm not done with your story yet. Because there are people in your life who need what you can give. And I will go with you to give it to them. That is powerful grace. That is not cheap grace. That says, oh, if you don't do it, don't worry about it. No, it's a powerful grace that says, I'm calling you to do it. I expect you to do it, but I will do it with you. And I will give you everything you require. But that's not the only gift he gives. See, this passage keeps getting better. I just love this passage. Because then he goes on and he says, but more than that, I want you to love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this to lay down one's life for one's friends. He says, now I've, I've told you this 
so that my joy might be in you and your joy might be complete. So my command is love one another as I have loved you. See, what he says, he says, not only do you get to do this with me, you get to do this together. You are called to be in community with one another so that you might encourage each other and spur one another on in your witness. So that in those moments when you struggle or you're having a hard time or just abiding in Jesus is hard because you've just lost sight of him because of what's going on, the role of your small group community is to point you back to Jesus. This is part of the reason why we say small groups are the primary disciple-making place here at Trinity. It's the reason why we say you can't grow spiritually unless you're connected relationally. Because that is a gift that Jesus gives to us so that we might go and bear fruit. Because it's in small group that we learn how to walk with Jesus. That as we study God's word, we have people in our lives who can model for us what it means to follow him. Who can be there as, as sounding boards and as springboards for reflecting on what it is we're doing and, and then taking a next step. So that as we read God's word, we don't just become readers, but doers of it. That we become like the wise man who takes the words of Jesus and, and puts them into practice because that person is like a house built on the rock. It's in small group that we learn how to do that. But most importantly, it's in small group that we have other people in our lives who remind us of the grace that we've been given. I love how Dietrich Bonhoeffer puts this in his book, Life Together. He says, the Christian sees in the companionship of a fellow Christian a physical sign of the gracious presence of the triune God. Visitor and visited in loneliness recognize in each other the Christ who is present in the body. They receive and meet each other as one meets the Lord in reverence, humility, and joy. See, that is what small group community is supposed to be about. That we represent Christ to each other. Jesus says, wherever two or three are gathered in my name, there I am in the midst of them. And in small group, you get to taste and experience that in community with fellow brothers and sisters who are on the same journey. To encourage one another, to spur one another on in love and good deeds, to point each other back to the vine and to say that it's because of him that we have everything that we require. Some of you are doing a follow study the second study is about speaking the truth in love. The greatest truth that we can speak in love to each other is to point one another back to Jesus. To ask that very basic but profound question, what would Jesus do? What has he done for you? And how will you take a next step so that you might bear more fruit? See, that is how we learn to follow. That's how we learn to bear fruit. It's how we become disciples who make disciples who make disciples. As we abide in him who is the vine, who gives us all that we require so that we might bear everlasting fruit as we share the good news of Jesus Christ to a world that so desperately needs it. That's what the Reformation is all about. That's what a reformed life looks like. Fruitful branches bearing the fruit for the kingdom. It's in the name of Jesus Christ, our true vine, that we say, Amen.